Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. Good morning, everybody. It's every season throughout Christian history, the good times, the hard times, times of information and technology times um, before any of this existed. One constant since Jesus was on the earth was the people of God gathering to worship and build each other up, encourage one another, and study his word and look at how it applies to their lives. And in this way, where we are is no different. This is a time that for most of us is extraordinary a time that's unprecedented in, in most of our lifetimes. But for Jesus and for his church, um, this is a day in the life. And in hard times, in uncertain times, it's always been the way of Jesus to strengthen his church and really for his love and his hope and his peace, not to shrink back, but to proliferate and, uh, and, and to influence the communities where we live. And so thanks for doing that. Thanks for coming together for um, being a part of this church family and this online gathering. And if you're not a part of the Denver United family, but you found us online, you're one of our friends or neighbors, or uh, for one reason or another, you're tuned in with us this morning. I just want to add my welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. And may the Lord strengthen and encourage you through his word. You know, during these times, we're all gathering a little tighter reaching out to whoever we call family and making sure one another's okay and, and lingering a little bit. And during this time, I'm, I've been reminded of how my father in his later years has, has shared with our family the story of his childhood. In 1945, my father was five years old. His father was serving in the United States Army in World War II. And in the spring of 1945, just a a few months before the, world, the war came to an end, his father was killed, shot down in his fighter plane over uh, Belgium. And his mother, at 26 years old, was left a widow. My father, at five, was, was left an orphan. And these were, these were hard times. On the heels of the Great Depression, America found itself engulfed in war with much of the rest of the world, and um, people struggled. And it was a time of fear and, and isolation. And his mother received the awful news. And the two of them were left alone in the world. My father has told me so many times how that summer of 1945, his Aunt Ruby and Uncle Lee in the Appalachian Mountains took his mother and him in. They may not have known each other real well, but they were family and they were who each other had and they were a lifeline and they shared what little they had with a frightened single mother left alone in the world and her five-year-old little boy. And many of us are faced with times like those here and now as we look at the reality of a shrinking economy and the prospects that are besieging us every time we turn on the news of what that shrinking economy and the, the fears of health and isolation that, 
they're causing, what that means for us as we look a week out and realize how different our world was a month ago and a week ago. What's it going to be like a week from now? And the truth is we need each other now more than ever. In the book of Genesis, the word of God tells us of the very first family. God created man and woman in his own image, Adam and Eve, and they had the first family. Their two boys were Cain and Abel. And one worked the fields and another raised the livestock. Well, they got into a squabble one day as teenage boys are wont to do. I've got two of them in my home and somebody is always wrestling the other. Social distance has been a very meaningful and real and present challenge in our home, trying to keep them from laying hands on one another. Well, I think Adam and Eve face this same challenge. And one day... You know, they didn't have focus on the family to teach them how to, how to discipline and how to keep the boys at bay. Well, one thing led to another and, uh, and Cain killed Abel, right? And God came to Cain as he did with people in those days. And in Genesis 4, the Lord said to Cain, hey, Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, Am I my brother's keeper? And so began a question, a rhetorical question that has reverberated through the ages, a question that stood as a theme among the covenant people of God. It's asked again, and it becomes relevant anew in every generation and in every culture. Am I my brother's keeper? And that's our title this morning. It's interesting, isn't it, that we were in a series as we've been studying through the book of Acts this year, a series called Disruptors, looking at the first century Christians, the Apostle Paul and his friends, as through Asia and into Europe, where we left off, they were the ones who were reputed to be turning the world upside down, these disruptors. How apropos as our series on the disruptors was disrupted. We were looking at the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey and the plight of the early churches as they witnessed to the love and hope of Jesus across Asia and Europe. We saw Timothy, Paul's young protege, and his folks in the province of Galatia, starting a church, and then Lydia in Philippi, Jason in Thessalonica, Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Corinth, building churches that looked a lot like this room, a handful of new believers figuring out what it means to be Jesus' followers in relationship with one another. Looked a lot like how many of you are gathered this morning, a handful of you in your coffee, looking at the word of God and coming together to sing a song and say a prayer and find faith in community. Well, fast forward, if you would, this morning to the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and the scripture in the book of Acts in chapters 19 and 20 zooms in on another European city, Ephesus, and looks at the ministry of Jesus in community as it's forming in real time there in that city. And Denver comes into focus and seems 
a little bit familiar as you read these words. Here in chapter 20, we're going to look at Paul's final words to the newly minted elders, the leaders of this church in Ephesus, as Paul is leaving them for what would be the last time. He writes, I entrust, or the scripture records, rather Paul speaking to them, I entrust to you now, uh, and I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. In verse 34, he says, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example to you of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And isn't it interesting that where we left off, Paul was modeling for these young Christians and these early churches and teaching them how by his example, he was working, making tents because that's what he was skilled at doing and creating wealth and creating opportunity and employing people alongside the other leaders in this church in Corinth that we saw, Priscilla and Aquila, they were making goods and providing services and selling them. And now he says, here's the rest of the story. Remember that we did this for you and we did this alongside you and we did this in front of you to teach you and to show you how we live as Christians, work hard so we can take care of one another. Paul established that our work, whatever it is that we do, is significant. It's significant if it gives us joy, and it's significant even if our work doesn't light our fire. And you see here one more reason why. In verse 35, he said, you can help those in need by working hard. That's the way Jesus' community in covenant around him has always been charged to function. In its broadest context, the book of Acts helps us understand what it means to be Jesus' community, what it means to be the church. And it provides a resounding answer to the centuries-old rhetorical question, am I my brother's keeper? And it shows us that to be the church is to be a family. And to be family means we take care of one another. We use what we have. We work hard together. We help each other out and we take care of one another. The book of Acts answers as a microcosm of all of the scriptures, this resounding, toweringly significant question that has echoed through the centuries since the first family walked the earth. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is absolutely yes. And never has that been more meaningful in our lifetime than now. Look at chapter 2. Mari read a few of these words in verse 42. All the believers, scripture says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, that the Lord's Supper, and potlucks, and to prayer. I think they, uh, they figured out the potluck shortly after they figured out the scriptures and salvation. You know, somebody brought one thing, somebody brought another, and they had a meal together. And they told stories, and they sang songs, and they said prayers. 
and they shared life together in faith. And in verse 44, all the believers met together and shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals. They shared their stuff. They shared their wealth. They took care of one another and they did it with great joy and generosity. And this is the way the church has always functioned. And this is the way it's always thrived. This was their template, plain and simple. This was their playbook. The church took care of one another like family. Paul writes letters back to these churches that he established that we're reading about in the historical account of the book of Acts. In Galatians, he says, hey, everyone, don't forget this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All the rules and regulations are summed up in this way. Take care of one another. In Philippians, he says, each of you should remember to look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. In times like these, and times like those, when the Roman Empire was cracking down on Christianity, and everybody was hiding out and looking out for number one, because when they gathered, they were at risk of getting hauled into captivity or thrown into the Colosseum for sport. Even so, he writes, don't just look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others in the community as well. We've said this and we've said it and we've said it until you're sick of hearing me say it. Week after week, year after year for the 11 years of Denver United Church's existence. Church isn't a platform Church isn't a program or a production. Church isn't a political affiliation or any sort of social agenda. Foremost, church is a family, always has been. And in times of uncertainty, in times of change, when the pressure's on, when the pain is greater, when the fear is high in society around us, in our own homes and in our own hearts, That's when family means the most. Church is a family, we've said. Now it's time to see why. I've experienced the reality of our new day this week, as I'm sure many of you have. Our team was here, some of us, setting up this makeshift living room studio and reinventing this week how we do church services together. I... Kason and I went down to Bardo Coffee House, a couple blocks down, our business neighbors, where so many of us meet with Pastor Neil over lattes and, and gather to study the word. And they've become friends and their baristas are, are always so friendly and kind. The owner was there. They're only serving takeout. And I, he said, thank you for coming in. And we bought a bunch of drinks and brought them back um, to, to treat our crew that was working hard and to support our business neighbors. I said, how's it going for you guys? And he said, this was on Tuesday. He said, I laid off 10 people yesterday. And so it is across our city. 
I told Mari I'd bring home dinner one day because she was working hard in one place and I was working hard in another. And so I prayed and asked Jesus, lead me to a, a local business that we can bless. And I picked up Thai food from a, a, a hole in the wall restaurant that had great reviews over on Federal. And the young woman was working there. The, the tables were all pushed to one side. They were doing takeout only. Her husband was in the back cooking the food and their little girl was coloring in a coloring book with a Disney movie on TV. I asked her, how's it been going? She said, my child is with me here all day and our sales are less than half. And so we ordered some extra appetizers and tipped her big. And I thought all across our city, all across our nation, jobs are going away and people are facing hard times. And in our church family, Story after story, one who is laid off, another who's quarantined, but figuring out how to take care of her aging grandmother, another whose mom lost her job this week. What are we to do in the face of so much loss and so much uncertainty? knowing that the world's going to turn over again next week. We look at California and New York being told they're not supposed to leave their homes and wonder if we go that way next. And friends, this can feel overwhelming, can feel terrifying. So what are we supposed to do about it? Where do we even begin well, we're gonna do a lot in the days and weeks ahead to show the love of Jesus to our city in practical ways. We've spent much of this week, I have, and some of our team, while well, most of us have been figuring out how to do church and how to serve you and keep connected and growing as a family. Some of us have been looking out ahead and engaging. We've had conversations with the, the city of Denver, with the state of Colorado, with Denver Public Schools, and are exploring a variety of strategic and meaningful ways that we can use the space we have and the volunteer force that are able to get out to serve our city and advance the kingdom of God and bring hope and peace to people. And we're going to talk to you a lot about that. But first, we've got to take care of each other. See, the temptation, the tendency in times like this is to hunker down and isolate. And then if we're going to do something good for the city, to go out as lone rangers. But when we burn that way, we burn bright for a minute and then we fizzle out. We need one another. The scripture says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. See, it's in our love for one another that our good work lasts, that it's sustainable, that we're able to keep on serving when the fear gets bigger and the opportunities get smaller and the need gets overwhelming. And so, kind of like when we get on airplanes and they tell us as parents, counterintuitively, in the event of an emergency, first put on your own mask and then you're able, you're equipped sustainably to assist others. Well, that's what I'm asking us to do. Let's put on our own mask. Let's take care of one another. What does that look like for us practically this week, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Jesus died for us so that whether we're asleep, as in dead and with one another in our eternal state in heaven, or whether we're awake here living on planet earth, 
He died for us so that we might live together with him, live together in community, in this fellowship, as family. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just just as you've been doing. The way in the good times, the way in the times when the seas were calm, you've been loving and serving and strengthening and encouraging and building up one another. So too now, when times are hard and the fear is high and the uncertainty is great, let us all the more now encourage one another and build each other up just as we've been doing. Jesus said, I don't give you an old commandment, a new one rather, but an old one, one you already know. It's just, it's about to get real. And so now, all the more, love one another. Hold each other up. Don't isolate this week, the governor met with virtually uh, with a number of, of clergy, of leaders of religious communities in the city, and he thanked us for taking leadership in our community by voluntarily stopping our business model of meeting together in large public gatherings and figuring out on the fly how to do it remotely. And he said all the same, let me ask you, we need what you do continue to work, continue to fight, continue to, to swim against the current and encourage and challenge your people, please, to keep supporting one another in the community. What a great message. And so let me ask you this week to think of five people outside of your own home. I know that what we need and what we're feeling is enough to fill up our plates, but think of five people out there in your church family, in your community, and call them up. You know, I, I've been explaining to my teenagers that these $800 rectangles that we provide, um, they also work like phones, which has been a new revelation. You can use them to actually talk to people. And so texts are good, phone calls are better. So think about hearing a voice, about being able to experience the humanity of tone being able to interrupt one another and say, ooh, sorry, keep going. Call five people and just ask them, how are you? What do you need? And how can I help? John the Baptist was the first to usher in the kingdom of God. And he said, when they asked him, what does this look like practically? He said, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. That's what the kingdom of God looks like when you boil it down, when you break it down to the studs. It looks like helping one another. And we're about to see that get real and practical. So yeah, let's hold each other up, but we're going to need to help each other through. We're going to keep hearing stories of people who had some and now have none who had little and now have even less. And so those of you who have two bedrooms, share with those who have none. We may be looking at those of us who have single family homes with a basement or a guest room, opening up our doors and inviting in somebody who is about to hit the rocks. Those of us who have two bags of groceries, Share with those who have none. Share a meal. Share a supply run to Walmart. 
feel like going into Walmart is like going into a war zone. We put on our masks and we carry Lysol and spray everything down. Share a bedroom, share a car, share a job. Those of you who are employers and have need, share with those whose job and whose industry is suddenly going away. Our congregation is indeed our city is full of, of young adults who work in the retail and food service sectors and retail and food service have stopped abruptly. Lots of people need work. And so uh, we'll come up this week with more efficient platforms. See, I'm saying this and Lindsay is sitting somewhere on a computer scrambling to create something to make it work. But for now, just email me. Just email me, rob.brendel at denverunited.com or go to our staff page on our website. All our emails are there. Email one of us and, and, and let us know. Don't, don't struggle alone. Hey, I'm out of work. Let your group leader know. Hey, I, I might lose my, my apartment this month. I might not have a place to live in April. Or, hey, pastor, I've got an extra room. I've got an extra car someone could use. Hey, my business, we could take on two more people. But don't go through this alone. We need each other. We were made for this. This is why Jesus' church exists. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness in every season and in every situation. Thank you that none of this took you by surprise and that through the love you have for us, you give us the capacity to love one another. And through our love for one another, we can remind our city that there is hope. Lord, help us to love well in this time. In Jesus' name, I bless my friends. Amen. Amen. Love you all. This time is challenging for so many in so many ways, none more so than financially. What we're beginning to understand is that as global economic recession seems almost inevitable, that long after we've solved the pandemic, we've got financial repercussions that are gonna last. And lots of us are feeling that. And we've got an amazing opportunity to care for and encourage and support one another. And so I wanna invite you, I wanna challenge you to keep giving, keep giving to God. I understand that giving is sacrificial in every time in life. It's doubly so now. The thought of having our income dwindle or potentially our job or whole industry go away. Uh, that's scary. And the coincidence is, it, it, it's kind of intentional. It goes together. The very forces that make our financial uncertainty make so many other people's need. And so would you keep enabling us to help and support and equip and stand with others? Thank you for your faithful worship giving. What we know now is what is always true. When we give, we're not giving to me. You're not giving to this corporation. You're not giving even primarily as charity. You're giving as worship and you're entrusting your worship giving to the stewardship of one organization or another. And I wanna just tell you, thank you. Thank you 
uh, for entrusting your worship giving to Denver United's stewardship. And I want to redouble our commitment to you to steward that in the fear of God, humbly and as missionally as we possibly can. This week, we have some really encouraging and and really um, innovative opportunities that uh, the Lord's bringing to us to repurpose our facility to serve our city. You know, many of you know Murphy, he's the deputy mayor of Denver. And if there's anybody that uh, probably needs adding to our prayer list, it's him. That brother is serving around the clock. We were texting this morning and he said this is the first day off he's had in two weeks. And so uh, shouts to you, brother. We love you and we're standing with you and behind you. Um, We asked him, hey, Could the city use 20,000 square feet on Broadway that for the time being is sitting dark and empty? And within a half an hour, city officials called us up and asked us for the time being uh, to keep private the considerations that we're looking at. But we have opportunities to, to be at the forefront collectively of serving the poorest, the most vulnerable, and the most marginalized in our city in this time of crisis. If we're hit hard, they're hit doubly and triply hard. And so thanks for making that possible. We have the opportunity to come alongside Denver Public Schools. We've found out, as I'm sure you've heard, that some of the unintended consequences of school closures indefinitely are that many students whose one nutritious meal a day is their subsidized school lunch are losing that meal. And so the schools and the teachers, some of them are rallying to say, we want to provide those meals for those kids, uh, but they can't get into the school to assemble them and, and, and then distribute them. And so they asked us, could we do that at your place? We have people who need childcare suddenly, and that's gone from a luxury to an absolute necessity, all the more for frontliners the, the, the emergency response heroes in hospitals and in grocery stores and other um, societally vital industries. And so we're looking at how we can support them. Thank you in the midst of it for faithfully and, and sacrificially making that work possible. I look forward to sharing more of that with you in the week ahead and inviting you to be a part of it as you're able. And so as we give to the Lord, let's give as scripture teaches, generously, but not under compulsion. Some of us, hey, we've lost our capacity to give and that's hard. And um, others of us, you know, we've seen our portfolios drop, um, but we live farther from the margin. And so we have more discretion and that's good. And so what scripture teaches is those who have more, give more. And those who have less, give less. And those who don't have the capacity to give, love, serve, pray. Let's all do what we can do. But thank you for faithfully and sacrificially uh, giving to the Lord. And thank you again for trusting Denver United and our stewardship of that. Let's, uh, let me pray together over us, over our our gifts, and uh, just ask God to bless them. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that So many of us are so prosperous and blessed. And Lord, as we um, reevaluate everything, as we tighten the belt and uh, 
invent our organizations and restructure our budgets. We're doing it here. My friends I know are doing it at home and in their businesses. Lord, would you bless what we have to give? Would you multiply it? The way Jesus, you took those couple of fish, those few loaves of bread 2,000 years ago when you fed the masses. Would you give us grace to strengthen and support and help and uphold many? Help us, Lord God, to come alongside one another and bear each other's burdens in literal and practical ways. And would you bless my friends as they give? Would you do what you promised you would do? Would you multiply it back to them? Would you take care of all of their needs? We know that everything we have, you have provided. And we know that you are not subject to an economic recession. And so would you provide generously for everyone in this church family? Would you take care of their needs? Every one of us who is gathered and trusting in you and looking to you, everyone indeed in our city and in our state and in our country, would you take care of them? Lord God, would you multiply resources? Would you teach us how to live efficiently? And Lord God, would you cause in the midst of this darkness the light, the hope, and the love of Jesus to shine through your children. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and I bless them in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 